Welcome to the other party, out of vibe. When you know we getting lit and come alive. And you know we got a light, so we gon' shine. Brand new Mac, and you know it's looking clean. It's the after party, live from the mountain. Hey, it's Chris, and welcome to the after party. This is the official episode number two. It's a snowy day here on the Front Range, and it kind of reminds me of the day when I filmed the Apple uh, Apple CarPlay video in the bomb cyclone. I don't know if you guys remember that. Uh, it was a crazy, crazy snowy day, and I probably should have wait- waited to film this, but I had to get it done for various reasons, and at least I'm not outside filming right now in that or driving around in uh, some sort of crazy snowstorm. I'm glad to be inside in the studio, and I'm really excited to be here talking with you guys, talking about tech, just kind of hanging out. You can put this on if you're watching on YouTube, and we can hang out while you're working. You can listen, or if you're on the commute and you just want something uh, interesting to listen to related to the stuff that you like. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but Daily Tech, all the content that gets put out, is basically just a reflection of me and my interests. So I'm interested in tech, I'm interested in Apple stuff, and you know all that stuff, the kind of music I like, it all gets poured into this content. So if you like the content, then you probably have some similarities to me as a person, I would guess. Guess what? After Party is now available on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So use the links down below to get this in your favorite podcasting program. Finally, I know you guys have been waiting. So this week on Daily Tech has been an interesting week. I just published a video on iOS 13 settings, and it did really well. Jumped to the number one spot of the last 10 videos, which is a metric that YouTube gives you as a creator. And I'm kind of surprised because, like, settings, it seems kind of boring, but maybe this is kind of an underserved market. I don't know. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, I put out some of my favorite new features that you could tweak. If you haven't seen that video, I mean, it's definitely worth checking out. But I learned something. I learned that the audience, you guys, the technicians, really like these settings videos. You've been asking for an iPad version, and you've been asking for a Mac version. So those are pretty much guaranteed to happen now, based on the feedback that I'm getting from you guys. And it all started with the Apple Watch video, actually. Uh, Watch OS 6 came out. And I made a video on the best Apple Watch settings. And that one was a little bit different because I literally went through setting by setting and explained what it was and what I thought about it and how I had it set. In the iOS 13 video, I just kind of picked out some of the new features and talked about how you could tweak them. Um, But people have been saying, like, can you just go through all the settings, which would be a super huge long video for the iPhone. There's a lot more settings that you can set there than you can on the Apple Watch. But I don't know if you guys request it. I mean, it's something that I'll do. Long story short, though, I think these settings videos, I'm going to make those an annual thing. Back when I used to do a blog, if you didn't realize, Daily Tech used to be a blog. Started back in 2012. We had these annual lists. They were epic lists. And I would always do the top 100 websites every single year. And people loved it. And they wanted to be on the list. And um, they were very popular. And they took days, weeks, years. Actually, I would work on them for a year. Because as I ran into a really cool website... Um, I would mark it down and then I would go through my list and like whittle out the bad ones and rank everything. And it was pretty cool. I kind of miss it. Um, But this, I think, is something I'm going to turn into an annual thing that I do on Daily Tech. When there's a new version of iOS or Mac OS or Watch OS, iPad OS now, whatever it is, I think I'm going to go through the settings um, because it's been fun. It's been popular and it's kind of different, I think, than what else is out there. It's not just showing off the new features. If you watch that video, I had some people like, why did you stick your face on a phone 
for the talking headshots. And if you haven't seen it, um, I set up uh, a bunch of different Apple Watch or sorry, Apple iPhone boxes from years past and kind of made a set out of it and stuck one of those on top, found a way to balance it, um, stuck a green screen on it and then edited my face into that. And so instead of seeing me talking just on the set, um, it was me talking inside of a phone was kind of the effect. But man, I had some awful issues with the green screen there because I'm still learning how to do it. And sometimes it turns out really great. And sometimes there's issues and there's major issues there. If you look really closely, like on the hair, um, it looks a little weird. It wigs out and it freaks out a little bit, which is why I kind of shrunk it, stuck it in a phone and put it on a black background. So <laughs> there's a little bit of behind the scenes for you. If you go back and look, um, don't look too close at the hair. Uh, but it was kind of crazy. And in fact, I was kind of getting discouraged because it wasn't turning out the way that I wanted. And then I put it out and it turned out to be a video that everybody really liked. So it's kind of a relief when I hit publish on that one. Before we get too far, I just want to explain the mic situation and setup here. I think I talked about it a little bit last week, but um, as these clips came out and as this video hit, the last uh, version of the video podcast, people were like, I like the content, but I don't really like that mic setup. If you're just listening, I'm holding a mic. It's a Shure SM58, sort of a legendary um, audio mic, vocal mic, um, mostly used for like singing. But there's a couple things. I wanted a different look for the podcast, for the video video side of it. I didn't want the same uh, Shure SM57 or whatever it is on the, on the boom mic that every podcast ever has. It's a nice mic. It's probably a nicer mic than this. Uh, based on the price. I've never used it. But, you know, how many times can you see the same thing? So I wanted something a little bit different. But you guys have to understand, like, the podcast is sort of an audio-first thing. So there is a video version, obviously. If you're watching this, you know that. And we make it into clips uh, for the Clips channel. But it's meant to be an audio-first thing. And and while we're still learning the ins and outs of, of all the audio stuff and trying to make it sound as good as possible, um, get rid of background noise and hum and whatever... Uh, you know, it's audio first. So there's a visual component and there's an audio component. And the main goal is to have an audio destination for people, um, even though this is also on YouTube. I hope that makes sense. So that's kind of why we're using this mic setup. And I like that it's different, to be honest. It, it's, it's just something different than what everything else that you're seeing out there. So hopefully you guys can appreciate that, learn to like it. And I'm sure at some point we'll switch things up because we just will. Let's talk a little bit about rentable HomePods because this is a great idea. It doesn't yet exist. The inspiration for this comes from Sonos. But here's the thing. If you don't have a HomePod and you think about getting one, if you've ever put any thought into it, you might just sit there and think, hey, that's a really expensive speaker. And there are other smart speakers like uh, that use Alexa or Google Assistant that might be smarter you feel like, than Siri. I could see people saying that. And here's the thing. Until you use a HomePod, until you see it in action or hear it in action, you might kind of just think it's an overpriced speaker, right? And there goes the buying decision for you. Even though Apple has tried to kind of push sales along, they cut the price like $50 um, from $350 to $300, but I don't think that really did a lot to move the needle. I have to just say, that I love the HomePod. It's one of my favorite Apple devices. I use it every single day. How many tech products can you say that about? Some, like your phone, you use that all the time. In fact, most of the Apple stuff that I own, I use it every single day. Um, but look, I listen to music on it all the time. Sometimes like while we're eating, throw on some classical or something for the, for the whole family. 
Uh, or, you know, I will check the weather really quick. Um, you can use it for controlling stuff, smart stuff around the house. Um, it's perfect on the desk. There's so many uses. Uh, you could use it for your home theater, honestly. It's, it's, it's really great. But it's underrated. And that kind of makes me sad because I don't want Apple to discontinue it because I enjoy it so much. And there's been rumors about like a smaller HomePod maybe coming out in the future, which would be great uh, if that would get people to buy more HomePods. But I love this original big HomePod. And clearly, if you look at the new Alexa premium speaker that's supposed to be really nice, you'll notice that it's HomePod shaped, kind of. It's clearly a takeoff on the HomePod. Apple, once again, with their design, is influencing an entire industry, basically designing for everybody in some cases. Um, now, Alexa came in to like, here's a premium sounding speaker at a much cheaper price than the HomePod. And I'm seeing articles like, oh, that's the death of the HomePod and whatever. It really isn't, honestly. But the HomePod doesn't get a lot of love, even from Apple. If you go on the Apple Music website, you're not even going to see the HomePod really pushed. Um, it's not at the top of the page. You got to dig around a little bit to find it. So whether you're Apple with the HomePod or you're Sonos or Amazon or whatever, features are one thing and looks are one thing, but hearing is believing. You don't really know if you're going to love a speaker until you hear what it can do and what it sounds like. And then you look at all the features and then you look at the price and you make a decision or whatever. Or really for a lot of people, price probably is the starting place, but... So here's how Sonos is tackling that. They came out with something called Sonos Flex, I believe is what it's called, and it lets you rent their speakers, try them out before you buy. And the pricing is pretty interesting. This is a very limited thing. It's only in one town that I know of, and I think it's limited to the first 500 people or homes that sign up to actually try it out. So they're just trying this out. It's not like a widespread thing. You can't get this probably. But check out this pricing, $16 per month will get you two Sonos One smart speakers that can be paired together or used separately in different rooms. That will cost you 458 pounds, I don't know what the dollar amount is there, if you just bought them outright. So $16 a month or almost you know, 450 almost $500 separately. Do you think some people are going to try that out if they're given the opportunity? I think so. And there's a couple different deals here. So $27 per month will get you a Sonos Beam, which is a soundbar, and two Sonos One speakers for your TV audio. That's going to cost you $907 if you bought all three of those things separately. Are you seeing the value here? Maybe, potentially. And then uh, there's another tier. I think it's the top tier. It's $55 per month, and it gets you a Play Bar, Subwoofer, and two Sonos One speakers for a more robust home theater experience. That's going to run you over two grand if you just bought it. So you can pay 55 a month, which is expensive. It is. Um, or 2000. Obviously this is an experiment and you could go way over the top and that may sound like way too expensive. And I would kind of agree with you. Uh, but that lower tier, like $16 a month. Hey, I mean, you're paying like what? $12 sometimes for some of your subscriptions for your digital stuff. Um, this isn't too bad. Now, part of me doesn't like this because part of me is like, no, I got enough subscriptions in my life and I don't need another one. Something sucking up my money every month. But at the same time, and I don't want everything to be a subscription, right? Some things I just want to buy and own. But on the other hand, you know, the more expensive things get, then the more sense it makes to break it up into smaller payments. That's why Apple pushes monthly payments for your phone in their pricing for the iPhone on their website instead of just the outright price, uh, right? 
Here's something that's kind of cool about this program, though. There's no contract. So if you're done paying, you can just give everything back and be done. So it's not like 12-month lock-in or six-month lock-in or three-year lock-in. Even Disney Plus, right, and the new TV subscription, they'll give you a lower price if you pay for three years in advance, which is kind of crazy. Um, but there's none of that here. No contract, which is cool. I mean, literally, you could test this out for a month for $16 and see what you think about the speaker and send it back if you don't like it. Or you could just send it back after a month, so try it out for $16, and you're like, I'm, I am going to buy it. I want it now, and then buy it. So a couple other cool details. You can get two different colors, black or white. But this is like the real kicker here. If your speaker gets old, if it gets replaced, if it becomes out of date, you can then update it as part of the program. It will get replaced with the new model automatically. Now that's really cool. Now there's an extra facet to this. Aside from just I want to try it out or I don't want to pay the full price or whatever and if it's worth it to you, you can actually just keep maintaining the latest, greatest speaker from Sonos in your home as part of this program. I really like this. And I also like that you can alter the subscription. So if you got like the more expensive tier and you're like, ah, that's too much, but I, I wanna keep something, but not all of this, you can say, I'm gonna go from $55 a month down to 16. That makes sense to me. You can do that, you can change it because there's no contract and it's no big deal. And the other thing is that there's an option for a free professional installation as well. There's a great article actually from Ben Lovejoy over at 9to5Mac talking about what if Apple made the HomePod a rental. I, I definitely recommend looking this up and checking it out. Um, it's talking about how you could potentially get this for $10 a month. Would you pay $10 a month to try out the HomePod uh, with under similar circumstances? Yes. The answer is yes. I think so many people would do this. And then he talks about how maybe there could be an option to like keep it at the refurbished price if you decide like I just want to buy it. Um, which would be like maybe 259 bucks. I just love this idea. I'm super excited about the Sonos trial program. I'm really interested to see how that goes. And I'm really excited about this article that I stumbled across. Um, big shout out to Ben for dreaming this up. And I really hope this makes it to the ears of somebody at Apple or their eyes if they read the article. And they're like, hey, we should do something similar because I love it. And look, this is Apple's really pushing into services with TV and with music and news and whatever, games. And so wouldn't it be interesting if they pushed into hardware rentals? It would give them like monthly recurring revenue, which all startups love and Apple would love as well. So I don't know. This doesn't sound too far-fetched. I mean, I could see this happening in the future and I would like to because more people should be able to experience a HomePod. It's that great. And selfishly, I don't want it to die. I don't want it to go anywhere. And something like this could definitely save it. I do want to point out a kind of a crazy scenario for you, something that I mentioned a long time ago. But there's been rumors about Apple and AR glasses. And I dreamt up a crazy idea. And I don't know if this would ever happen, but it's something very interesting to think about. And it was this. What if someday you had an, a pair of Apple AR glasses, augmented reality, and through those glasses, you manifested a digital version of like an iMac or whatever you probably pay for it probably monthly it's a service a digital version that runs in the cloud so it's super powerful but it's cloud powered nothing on your actual desk you just see it virtually through the augmented reality glasses and Apple turns all of their hardware for their computers into a rentable monthly service how weird would that be uh, it's not beyond the realm of possibility I would say 
who knows, in a decade or two, probably, um, I think things are going to change a lot. And augmented reality is going to finally, eventually become a really big deal. It's just interesting to think about where things could be headed. Am I right? Let's talk about sleep and Apple, more specifically the Apple Watch. Um, Sometimes things leak in interesting ways. Sometimes, like with the AirPods 3, the next model, like a, a case from a third party will leak and be listed on Amazon, kind of fueling the rumor cycle. And and uh, Or like we talked about in the last podcast, it can be an icon that accidentally slips through in an early release of something in a beta and sheds all kind of light on an upcoming Apple product. Well, in this case, uh, there was an interesting leak about an upcoming potential feature for the Apple Watch, which is built-in sleep tracking. There was an alarms app that appeared as a listing on the App Store, which was then taken down later, but a lot of people uh, got some screenshots, which was built by Apple, and it referenced a sleep app. And so the reference said that users could set their bedtime and wake up in the sleep app. This is pretty interesting. Um, There's a lot of issues tied into this one little thing, like can the battery life of an Apple Watch actually take somebody wearing it all day and then wearing it to bed to track their sleep? You know, you have to deal with battery life, number one. Um, In fact, that may be the reason why we don't have a built-in sleep tracker on the Apple Watch yet. Um, But it's something that sets apart uh, the Apple Watch from like the fit bit whatever versa two now you can get third-party apps to track your sleep using an apple watch and for a while i tried some of those out so as a tech reviewer i've got a lot of apple watches laying around i like to keep them around so i can compare new ones to old ones and so i would wear an older version to bed while my current version was charging and then you know charge that one when i swapped during the day and so i could make that system work but wearing one apple watch you have to come up with a kind of a crazy schedule in order to actually use it during the day and then charge it somehow and be able to wear it to bed to track your sleep. So it was kind of crazy. So the battery issue probably needs to be dealt with first, but it does appear that Apple is looking at this and working on it. So something that could be coming, which is something I think a lot of people would really, really like and and benefit from. I think the reason why is obvious because the Apple Watch has really um, narrowed down on being the best fitness and health tracking device that it can be to the point where you have insurers saying, Hey, we're going to like subsidize this for the people that, you know, pay for a policy from us because it's such a helpful, useful, accurate tool for tracking fitness and health. So getting better sleep is definitely part of being healthy and living a healthier lifestyle. And the Apple watch is so good at so many things. It's just like a natural thing. So I think it's really just a matter of time, probably before this comes to the Apple watch, especially with this leak. Now, if, now if this is something that actually excites you, you have a pretty good reason to get excited and be excited about it in the future, because I don't know if you remember this, but a couple years ago, Apple acquired Bedit, I think is the company. And it's a sleep tracking device that goes in your bed somehow. I've never tried one and measures your sleep. And so the this app, it could either work with that or it could work with the Apple Watch uh, directly or both, um, some kind of hybrid. But Apple is interested in this space. They've spent money in this space already. So it seems like a no-brainer. Needless to say, to wrap it up, we didn't see this feature uh, hit with watchOS 6 or with the new Apple Watch Series 5. But it's very possible that it could be pushed as a simple software update. So that's something to keep in mind. If you're an Apple user, 
and you subscribe to any of Apple's services already, let's say Apple Music or Apple News, which mm, that's the weakest of their services and the most expensive, uh, or uh, the gaming Apple Arcade or maybe Apple TV, which is coming up, wouldn't it be nice if you could subscribe to all of those things as part of a bundle? One simple bundle, presumably less expensive bundle for all of that stuff. How cool would that be? I would love that. 100%. I think Apple understands that this could be amazing and they're looking at it. And the reason that we know that Apple's looking at this is because it leaked from a music executive who was unhappy about the potential for Apple to create this kind of Apple Prime bundle, as people are calling it. But I think it had the opposite effect of what the leaker wanted. He wanted people to be like, oh, yeah, that would be terrible. Uh, because in his view, in the music industry's view, apparently they don't like this bundle idea because they think that the artists and i.e. the music companies are going to get paid less. But what the effect has actually been is that everybody's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. I definitely want that. <laughs> so kind of backfired there. And look, when the consumer wants something, you've got to give it to them because it only makes business sense. It makes sense for the consumer, then it makes sense for the business. And you know what? The music industry hasn't wanted to change in the past, and they have had to because consumers have voted with their wallets or not with their wallets um, in the case of just downloading torrents and stuff um, the way that they want to consume music. So quit fighting it. And Goldman Sachs actually thinks that it makes business sense for Apple too. Here's a quote. It says, we think Apple should launch a subscription bundle as a way to reinforce iPhone loyalty and leverage it into content. And according to the Financial Times, Apple is all about this. They're really excited about this idea, as they should be. Because look, Apple Music, that's $9.99 a month. And Apple TV Plus, $4.99 a month. Apple News Plus, $9.99 a month. And Apple Arcade, $4.99 a month. Like, like here's an example. Um, Apple News is really great for like the Wall Street Journal. That's the main reason for me to be in there, for instance. I don't really care about all the magazine stuff. In fact, I have lots of problems with Apple News. I don't like that I can't format the way that everything looks. Um, I don't like the ads I'm paying. Why do I have ads in Apple News? Um, and just a lot of the articles that are locked down and presented in an arbitrary bundle because they're part of a magazine issue, you can get those for free if you just look it up online. So Apple News has a lot of problems. I understand like it's curated or whatever, but there's a lot of problems. So for somebody who doesn't want to pay for that, just for the Wall Street Journal, for instance, then maybe it makes sense for the bundle because they do want Apple Arcade, because they do want Apple Music, and they get benefits from all these other services. Oh, and you know, since they're paying for the bundle, yeah, it's worth it for the first six shows to dip your toes in and check out Apple TV Plus and to dip your toes in and check out the Wall Street Journal without having to pay so much money. The Wall Street Journal is expensive by itself. So yeah, this absolutely needs to happen. I'm going to be so disappointed if this doesn't materialize. So Apple's like in love with services. It's the way forward for them as iPhone sales kind of get sluggish. Um, and it's just hard to maintain that same momentum with the iPhone for all kinds of reasons. Services is like where it's at for a lot of companies. So for me as a consumer, I know that I want this so bad. And I think other people do too. Even the people that work at Apple probably are like, yeah, I want this for myself. And so I really do think they're going to push this through. It's been talked about for so long. It just makes sense. In fact, I challenge you to list off any negatives that there would be for this. Because if it's a la carte, which I'm sure it will always be, if you want Apple Arcade separately or Apple News separately, Apple TV Plus separately, 
you could always buy those separately. So really, what is the the downfall? As long as you're not a music executive, what's the downfall? I mean, leave me a comment. I, I'm curious, genuinely, help me think of what would be bad about an Apple Prime subscription. We got to talk about multitasking on the iPhone, about a split view mode for the iPhone. I can't believe that it's not here, that it doesn't exist. It's been on Android for so long, and Apple's all about productivity. Um, even if they just made this like a feature for the iPhone Pro, the 11 Pro, I mean, it would just make sense because of multitasking. You know, on Android, that's one of the features that I absolutely love is being able to have a web browser up top and a notes thing open on the bottom and be able to reference one thing and not have to switch around and be able to put my thoughts down about it in the other window, um, in the other app. I mean, I, it boggles the mind to try to understand why this doesn't exist. Now, on the one hand, phones used to be a lot smaller, iPhones, you know, or any phone, the screen, and maybe it was a stretch to even think about that. And Apple's all about user experience and simplicity, and I get that. But phones are big now. iPhones are pretty big now. You can't even, people are mad that there's not a smaller iPhone. But multitasking, it only makes sense. It needs to be here. I don't understand why it's not. Like, look, the iPad Pro just got iPad OS. They forked it, they split iPad OS from iOS 13, and some of the big differences are the way that multitasking happens and works on the iPad, that workflow being able to do more. It's part of the iPad experience now. Why isn't it a part of the iPhone? But you know what? The iPhone on a lot of days could be my main computer. Often you could make the argument right now that it's my main computer because I'm sure I spend the most time on it probably out of all my devices, especially on a day when I don't have to do a video edit because um, that just is hours on the Mac there. But you know, it's it could be, I could basically get away with it as my main device is what I'm saying if I had uh, better multitasking potentially and of course some other apps wouldn't hurt either um, some pro apps as if we're talking about a pro experience but this really shouldn't even be a pro feature a pro only feature it should be just a feature on iOS for everybody again I'm baffled I don't know why it's not here okay but where's this video going what are we talking about what am I babbling about somebody came out with a really great split view concept for iOS and I want to talk about it Okay, I'm watching this video right now, and this guy has put, and I'll link to this uh, in the description, kind of like a dock, almost like you would see on the Mac, over on the side of the phone. And then you can pull over, or, or like on the iPad too, you can pull stuff over from that dock and stick it, a tile it, like above or below. And then sort of like you have on, well, with Catalina now, you can do this uh, with the windows. You can tile the windows and move it with a bar in the middle. But like on iPad, there's a bar in the middle, and you grab it um, using a little grabber, I don't know what you would call that, and move those around the windows to resize them. That's what this concept sort of looks like. So in order to make this happen, the person who envisioned this came up with the dock idea. And I think Apple has steered clear of that because apps just kind of live on the iPhone on the home screen. But I think with a dock, you, you got to like pick one or the other. I think it'd be cool to have like a favorites area where maybe not everything is open for multitasking, but you can stash like six apps or something for instance, or, or you could have like workspaces. Ooh, this would be even better. Have something for like uh, whatever you're working on, whether it's a photo flow or social media flow, um, whatever it is, have like a bar of favorites that you can swipe in from the side and maybe switch between those workspaces. I don't know, but there's a way to do it and it needs to exist. And for all the talk of keeping things simple, basically without a channel like daily tech or like blogs or looking stuff up, and Apple tries to do it themselves now on their YouTube channel. They put out a lot of guides for stuff. 
But an average person, if you just picked up the iPhone, you would have no idea all the things that it can do already. Just already. It's pretty complicated already. It's simple, but it does a lot, which complicates it. So I don't know. If Apple's scared of putting this on, they shouldn't be. Um, because, again, market forces. I want this. Like, back to the screen size thing, the 2020 iPhones are reported to have, like, 5.8-inch displays. It's not tiny. There's room. And honestly, even if it was, like, an iPhone SE, I would still want it because of the productivity. Like, if I can take a picture and drag it, here, here's where it really comes in handy on the iPad, for instance, is being able to drag stuff between apps. And it would really take things to a new level. I understand, like, in the last couple of years, Apple needed to fix a bunch of bugs. That was what iOS 12 was all about. And iOS, iOS 13, it introduced a few new things. Um, I just did that settings video, which people are pretty stoked about. Um, but this would be, like, a huge, huge thing. Uh, and not because it would just give you two things open at once, but the, the interoperability, the ability to drag stuff around, like you could on the uh, iPad, that's what would be killer. So you have the Files app open on the bottom, and uh, an email open on top and you can drag stuff out of your email to download it or vice versa to attach it um, or if you're browsing and you find a picture and you want to save it it's just there's so much that you could do here aside from that though aside from me just wanting it and for the productivity boost um, and whatever just catching up to android there's some practical things here um, if you remember I, I don't know if you've ever experienced carplay yet and if you had the old carplay on with ios 12 and the new one with ios 13 one of the things that apple did was when siri gets activated it no longer in ios 13 takes over the entire carplay screen so that you can't see anything else and for instance it would be great if if you had a, a split view where uh, siri popped up in half the screen only and didn't just obscure everything underneath or especially if a phone call didn't come in and take over your whole screen, because sometimes you're doing something. I don't care if you're writing an email or playing a game. It's annoying when a phone call comes in and just takes over everything on the screen. So some sort of split view would actually be very practical in some circumstances as well. The good news is uh, people want it. And as people talk about it, Apple may listen uh, and say, Okay, let's do it. I'm sure they've thought about this so many times and they just, if they're thinking about it, they want to do it the right way and they don't want to mess everything up because maybe there's things that people don't think about. Maybe they have to do a whole home screen redesign, an entire user interface rethink and redesign. And maybe they just haven't been ready to pull that trigger because it's such a big deal. Uh, you know, people are like, I want this, but they don't realize all the work that goes into it, including me. So I'm sure that Apple has thought about this a lot. Please let me know if you're watching on YouTube. Leave me a comment, whether it's on the Clips channel, their main podcast channel, wherever. Leave me a comment and let me know if this is something that you actually want to see. And I should uh, do a Twitter poll and see what people think there too. Um, but hit me up on Twitter too. Be like, yeah, Chris, we need this. Let's build some momentum. Or be like, no, Chris, I don't need that. That's why I'm on iOS because it's too simple. It's, it's simple compared to Android. I don't want all this complication. Let me know either way. Let's have a discussion about it. This is about to be a very, 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 very interesting discussion about Apple Arcade versus Google Play Pass. Uh, if you don't know, Apple came out with Apple Arcade. It's a subscription, $5 a month. Get your friends and family in there, I guess just your family, uh, and you can play over 100 games for $5 a month. And we're going to delve into the details here because that's, that's oversimplifying 
what's so awesome about Apple Arcade on all your Apple devices, by the way, iPhone, iPad, I guess not your Apple Watch, not your HomePod, uh, but your Mac, finally got some games there, and your Apple TV on your big screen in the house. So it feels like sort of a, a last minute thing, but maybe it, it was more thought out than this. But when Apple came out with Apple Arcade, all of a sudden, Google came out with Google Play Pass for Android people, presumably so that they wouldn't feel left out, number one, if they had an Android and they're like, what the heck, we don't have that. And number two, no, I think that's pretty much it. They just didn't want Android people to feel left out or feel like they were ignored and didn't have uh, feature parity with Apple. But guess what? These two services could not be more different. Apple reportedly spent $500 million to acquire some exclusive titles for Apple Arcade. $500 million. Uh, if you can, If you're watching this and not listening just as a podcast, you can see my face. It's like crazy money. And so they got like Skate City and Where Cards Fall and these great independent titles and they locked them up. And I believe those are some of the exclusives, made them exclusives to Apple Arcade. So Apple's out here planning this and they're paying these game developers before they have even like finished in some cases their game to get on Apple Arcade. So in a sentence, it's kind of like Netflix for games. That's what Apple's up to. You know what I mean? Like Netflix will go out and pay a bunch of money for a series or a movie that's going to be exclusive to Netflix that you can't get anywhere else. And it costs a lot, but it's of high quality, right? That's what Apple's kind of doing here. So then to counter this move, Google comes along and they're like, okay, we're launching Play Pass. It's $5 a month for hundreds of games and apps and whatever. And nobody really cares. Why is that? Uh, I mean, somebody cares out there, but it's not getting the attention and deservedly so not getting the attention that Apple Arcade is getting. But there's more to this. There's a big catch. There's a mystery uh, to this equation. We're going to talk about that. So Google is not out here being like, we're going to pay for all these exclusive games. On the other hand, what they're doing is they're saying, hey, developers, get in here and be a part of Play Pass. And you know what? We're going to pay you using an algorithm based on how many times people or how much time spent basically within your game, within your app. This has big repercussions. Like, listen to this quote I found uh, from a game developer, somebody who developed one of the Apple Arcade games. He says, I've had conversations with pretty big free-to-play studios, and I won't name any of them, but they've mentioned, yeah, we don't care if a game is fun at all. It's just literally go and check off these boxes and get all these metrics, and that's the only thing that matters. This is Ryan Cash. He's the founder of Snowman. But he's like, it's kind of like designing games for a casino. They don't care if the slot machine is fun. They care if it's performing and making money. So here's the very, 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 very huge difference here. You have Apple saying, hey, we're going to pay you a lot of money to develop this exclusive title for Apple Arcade. And what they end up with is a really clever, a different kind of a game than what you're going to find elsewhere. Apple's trying to push the boundaries and the developers that they're working with of what a mobile game looks like and how it acts the visuals the storytelling it's very different than on the google side uh where developers are just like yeah you're including all these games for a subscription every month that's really where the similarities end for five dollars a month but you're not getting really clever well thought out games you're getting just very derivative stuff not high quality stuff there's a big difference all right, you want an example? So the dude or the people that developed the Apple Arcade title Where Cards Fall, which is very different, very interesting, they worked on that for six years. 
six years. And now you can get it in Apple Arcade for $5 a month. That's not the kind of development in the titles that you're really going to be getting over in the Google version. I mean, you don't think about it, but somebody who's developing a game is pouring a lot of effort and imagination and time and creativity into all the little details that go into a game. Not just the concept, but like the physical stuff, well, digital stuff, like the way a tree looks and interacts with you know physics the engine behind it and the way shadows appear and you know I, I love one of my favorite things about video games like especially really high quality ones like console games or like really nice pc game i love looking at all the details in these worlds that people build i'm amazed like somebody paid attention to this rock that i just stepped on or uh this building um in assassin's creed uh whatever the greek one is um like you walk around in the tour version where you're just like checking out old ancient Greek cities. And there's just all these little details from the road to the building textures, to the sacks full of like grain in the hold of a ship that you can barely see through the crack in the plank. Um, it's amazing. All the work that went into that. Um, and it's funny too, kind of on a different level, people are like, Oh yeah, this world evolved. Um, but a video game requires so much attention. Oh, okay, that's a whole different discussion, but whatever. So Apple, with Apple Arcade, they're like, no more free-to-play junk. Like, you don't have to unlock any loot crates or anything. It's not play-to-win or pay-to-win, sorry. It is play-to-win. <laughs> it's not pay-to-win. There's two sentences in this article I found about this that really made me think. Number one, it says that Google's model is more addictive by design rather than innovative. And also, it's just simple rather than thoughtful. This is one example where simple isn't necessarily better. The instant that you pop into Apple Arcade and you see the, whatever, storefront of all the different games and titles that are available, you see that there's a different quality there. It has a different feel. And it's almost a little weirder. And it's cool. It's different. And by design. I guess, in a word, it's just more diverse is what it feels like. And, you know, if you get bored with the same kind of game over and over again, this is like a breath of fresh air. So, obviously, this is very expensive for Apple, but they're pushing into content. It's one of their main focuses. they got to get this started. And, I mean, they're spending billions on their TV content. And they spent half a billion so far, um, it is reported, on Apple Arcade content. So, can they keep that up? Can they keep paying these huge sums of money? I don't know. And maybe they don't have to uh, do that as much as long as they just have these 100 titles to get started. And they're still rolling out, by the way. They're not all there right at launch. So it's been kind of fun as an Apple uh, Arcade subscriber to go in. I was there in the beta and checked it out, and there's some cool stuff. And then, you know, the next week there was a few more things that were fun, and the next week there's been some more stuff. And so it's kind of fun to see all the stuff rolling up. But there's a big selection already of these really innovative, creative, different games. Okay, are you ready for the twist, that mystery that I was talking about? Because you could be like, why doesn't Google care more? Why is PlayPass so lame, basically? Well, Google is interested in gaming in a big way, and they are interested just in a different kind of gaming experience. So they're developing Google Stadia, which is more of a console-like experience in terms of the kind of games. It's more of like an Xbox Gold type of a thing than an Apple Arcade type of a thing. But instead of having a console, 
you it's all streamed and you can like play it in the games in a browser and on top of that there was a story out recently they're using all this interesting technology which if it works out is going to be very very interesting so for instance um there the engineer over at stadia is saying we're going to be able to stream games smoother faster better than even console rivals that aren't just streaming um and the reason is because they're going to be doing like some crazy predictive stuff, like predict what your next move is going to be and help things like move along and be really smooth. It's really interesting. I'm very curious to see what Stadia looks like and what it does and the impact that it has. So I guess I would kind of think of Apple Arcade as even though the games have innovative uh, graphics or storytelling uh, mechanisms, I feel like so far for the most part, Apple Arcade is more of a casual gaming experience, which I think Apple is all about. They're not really interested in that hardcore gaming experience um, where it's like very competitive and and the graphics need to be super amazing over the top. They're more interested in having a fun experience and you don't necessarily need to have uh, the craziest hardware to run it. Um, So Apple Arcade still feels like very casual for me, whereas Xbox, PlayStation, PC gaming, and Stadia um, aim to be more uh, cutting edge, pushing the boundaries of like hardcore gaming. So people are saying um, Google Play Pass is really a throwaway approach to gaming on your devices. And it's there to have something at least that can be said to be a competitor to Apple Arcade, but it's not really amazing. And this is why, because Google's focusing their gaming efforts somewhere else. Now you tell me, looking at that big picture, who did something cooler here? Apple with Apple Arcade? And because they're they're changing the game in, a, in their own way, in a different way. Or Google with Stadia, which is its own totally separate, different thing. Like, who's making a bigger move here? I really don't know. And maybe it doesn't matter because it's not really apples to oranges. Maybe they're both big moves in different spaces. And maybe, you know, Apple, it could be very smart. They could have their own market over here if PlayPass isn't going to really compete maybe they just invented their own little area and they're cool to carve out a niche in casual gaming. And it's not really a niche because how many people own iPhones and Apple devices? Um, not that small of a niche anymore. And so maybe it just doesn't matter. Maybe um, they're not meant to really compete Stadia and uh, Apple Arcade. You know what I mean? Do let me know though, what appeals more to you and what you're more excited about Apple Arcade and that whole casual gaming um vibe and just being able to have that stuff available on all your Apple devices for such a cheap price and and let all your family members get in there for that cheap price or something more robust, more um, traditionally cutting edge. Uh, That's kind of a funny oxymoron there with Google Stadia. Let me know. I have to mention some really interesting Apple Watch news (laughs) that happened this week has to do with an NFL quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger on the Steelers getting fined $5,000 for wearing an Apple Watch on the sidelines. This is kind of crazy and mind-boggling. So I wasn't watching this game. I was watching the Broncos because go Broncos, uh, even though they're awful this year. But they did win the last game. So, hey, maybe it's turning around. Uh, Philip Lindsay can't compete with that. Um, So uh, they were playing the Steelers. uh, were playing the Bengals. And Roethlisberger is injured. He's over on the sideline. So he obviously wasn't playing 
and the NFL's ticked because he's wearing an Apple Watch. I thought when I heard this that it had something to do with like a sponsorship deal because I know the NFL um, is sponsored by Microsoft. When you look at every uh, at the box up there and the coaches uh, are working on a Surface, like the Surface logo is plastered all over the place. Or you look at their uh, headphones and they're wearing bows. Um, the, the NFL has all these deals that are like exclusive deals with tech companies. And I thought this might have been some sort of a violation with that. But that's not what it was at all. It actually was a uniform violation, from what I understand. Uh, it violated the NFL's uniform guidelines. Why? I think it has to do with cheating. They're they're worried that if you have some sort of communication device, that you could potentially be cheating over there on the sideline. Now, as an Apple enthusiast and an Apple Watch enthusiast, I think this is kind of interesting because everyone recognizes just how powerful an Apple Watch actually is. It's not just a watch. It's not just a fitness device. It can do so much more. And it's the same thing with schools, I know. like <laughs> There's teachers out there who are banning the Apple Watch because it does too much. And they're also worried about cheating. Whether you're an NFL or you're a teacher, there's that cheating worry. <laughs> in fact, in fact, there's an app, and I've covered it many times uh, for the Apple Watch, called, get this, Cheat Sheet. It's a note-taking app. Uh, here's a quote. ESPN covered this. Roethlisberger wore the Apple Watch on the sideline during Monday Night Football. His issue is that he never received any advance warning that it could be a violation, only a fine letter for wearing the device, which he didn't even realize, apparently, that he had on, according to sources. With Roethlisberger unable to use his right arm, his wife dressed him for the Monday Night game and strapped on the Apple Watch on his left wrist. Hey, what's wrong with that? It's the Apple Watch. Uh, that's a good move by the wife. Uh, hey, don't forget your Apple Watch, right? I endorse that. Now, the Apple fan in me would be upset and just, I would be mad anyways. You know, it's always annoying. Like when you get in a situation and something doesn't have to happen, but it does. And, you know, like uh, it just happened apparently that he had the Apple Watch on, but he didn't mean to have it on and to cheat. Apparently, uh, I'm sure the rivals are like, yes, he did, but whatever. I'm not going to get into that. But then on the other side of the equation, it's like, you know what? It is a powerful device. And if I was on, if somebody was playing the Broncos and there was some Apple Watch on the other side, you know, you don't want the, even the potential to exist for any kind of cheating. So I understand if Roethlisberger didn't mean to have it. I understand that perspective if he didn't mean to have it. And, you know, I understand the NFL's perspective too. And I agree with it. I think actually in the end, um, it's right for the NFL to punish this kind of thing. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to pay five grand either for something that, you know, like this, I really wouldn't. But, but honestly, as a fan though, you got to have these kind of rules to prevent potential cheating. Okay. I'm going to go on a rant because there's enough cheating that happens already, whether it's a ref making a bad call, Broncos fans know what I'm talking about this season, um, or whatever. Sometimes it seems like the game gets kind of rigged. Um, so yeah, keeping it fair. Um, with the NFL on this one. It's actually, though, not the first time that this has been an issue. Uh, there was some baseball games. Let me look at this up. Oh, in 2017, the Arizona Diamondbacks coach, he was fined for violating Major League Baseball on field regulations because he had an Apple Watch on in the dugout. I remember when that happened. Um, 2015, similar incident with the Kansas City Royals manager. So it's not just the NFL, and it makes sense across all the sports uh, to ban these, unfortunately. Um, but... I think if you're wondering how this story wrapped up, uh, it hasn't quite settled all the way down yet. So Roethlisberger is appealing um, this decision, but if he ends up 
paying for it, uh, somebody pointed out that, you know what? If it was a $5,000 Apple Watch, basically, uh, that's nothing compared to what some people are spending ridiculous amounts on their uh, watches. So that probably doesn't make him feel any better. I mean, do you guys think it's ridiculous that he got fined for this, or do you see the benefit in the NFL and other sports MLB having these kind of rules? Comment it up. Question for you. Could you stay off of your smartphone for an entire year, 365 days, 12 months, I don't know the hours or minutes, if somebody offered you a large sum of money? $1,000? $10,000? 50 grand? How about $100,000? Could you stay off of your phone, not use your smartphone, Android or iPhone, for a year if somebody was going to offer you $100,000? That is the question. And that's what we're dealing with right now because it's a real thing. A company did offer somebody, a woman, a hundred grand if she could stay off her phone for a year. Her name's Elena. She's a 29-year-old fiction writer from Queens, and uh, the company is Vitamin Water. This happened in December, so she's nearing almost having done this for a year. Uh, it's a challenge. It's a marketing thing, obviously, and it's working because I'm talking about it and you're knowing about it. I should have left the company out. Shoot. Uh, but it's called the scroll free for a year challenge. So, uh, your initial thought like mine might be, wait, if somebody's going to do this and they're going to pay like a big amount of money for this, then how are they going to keep things fair? Like, how would you actually know she's not using a smartphone? And so apparently what they're doing, the setup here is that they replaced their iPhone. It was a five S with a Kyocera flip phone. And all she can do on it is call and text. So no apps. No Instagram, no Twitter, no web browsing, no email, no GPS. All of the stuff that you love and are used to, she had no access to since December. Now, <laughs> that doesn't really seem like the biggest deterrent, right? Like she could pick up a different phone or whatever. So the other thing that they're doing is they're going to be applying a lie detector test at the end of this period. So in, this, in the upcoming December, which honestly, I've never had a lie detector test uh, I have no idea how accurate that's going to be. And I think, honestly, at the end of the day, uh, vitamin water wins uh, because this is getting so much attention. And again, dang it, uh, I feel bad for even talking about it. So basically, they're spending potentially $100,000 for all this free publicity. They're getting way more earned um, uh, eyeballs than just what they paid for in marketing parlance. Now, during this challenge, though, she does have the flip phone, but she also has a laptop and a desktop, or she could use either of those, and she can use voice-activated uh, devices that aren't smartphones, so like a smart speaker, something like uh, HomePod or Amazon Echo, Google Assistant. So there you go. If she didn't have that stuff, I think there's absolutely no way, no potential way for her to have completed this challenge. But on the other hand, thinking about it, if somebody was like, I'm going to offer you 100000 give you this flip phone, give you a lie detector test, but you can still use anything that's not a smartphone, laptop, computer. I wonder if she can use a tablet um, because that seems more smartphone-y than like a laptop. You know, if if I was afforded the ability to have all of those things, I could do this. If I wasn't a tech reviewer, <laughs> in fact, if I wasn't a tech reviewer, I could easily do this, I think. It would be hard. And the main thing for me would be like a social pressure because sometimes you're at an event or something and everyone's like taking a picture whether it's a family thing or I'm at a tech event 
or it's just a nice day and you want to take a picture, but having a camera with you all the time is like one of the big things. Cause you don't want to lug some huge DSLR around or even a pocket camera is still chunky compared to your phone. So it, that, that would be the hardest thing for me, I think. Now at this point, she's about eight months into the challenge and apparently still going strong. Uh, she actually says that it's been one of the best adventures of her life. And to be honest, that's probably a good way to describe it as an adventure. Um, because not having it in 2019, a smartphone, it would be tough. It's like, would you rather run a marathon or not have a smartphone? Or <laughs> climb this crazy mountain or not have a smartphone? Uh, or live without a house for a week or not have a smartphone for a year? I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of things that I think people would choose that would be crazy things over not having a smartphone. That's how integrated it's become into people's lives. But look, here's what she said, though. Um, she said, getting away from the smartphone has been freeing, and it's opened my eyes and made me more aware of some of my other bad health habits. And so she's working on turning her life around slowly but surely, day by day. And this is part of it, she says. She attributes this. And you know what? I don't doubt it. People talk about smartphone addiction all the time and how bad it is to just have access to all the information the world has to offer at any time that you want it uh, just in your pocket. I mean, it's kind of scary when you think about it. And I think we've all been there. We've realized if you're an iPhone person or Android, you're like, I'm spending too much time on this thing. And But but do you get rid of it? No, because you need it for certain things and you want it for certain things. And it just, you default. Smartphones are addicting. And she has broken free from that apparently and is happier for it. It's interesting because she says uh, she was happy to accept the challenge, but she immediately faced some unexpected difficulties. She says, once I almost got stranded in the airport because the phone number I'd written down was wrong and I had no way of looking up the right one, no way of calling a cab or Uber and no one in the state who could help me. And uh, it sounds like it impacted her social life because she wasn't able to like get photos from people and she couldn't send photos to people. Um, Just that's just like a currency in today's world, being able to change or share your photos and your experience and to share in other people's experience visually in that way. So despite some of the challenges, she talks about this as being one of the best things she's ever done. And she actually says when this whole thing's over, she's not going back, which um, actually I kind of applaud. But on the other hand, I mean, if she picks up a phone one time, it's all over (laughs) because it's designed to be uh, so sticky and uh so addictive oh yeah it's funny (laughs) i said if she picks up a smartphone it's over she says i don't think i can be trusted with technology if i have access to a smartphone i suspect i'll go right back to abusing it wasting time staying up hours uh of the night when she shouldn't be and getting re-addicted to social media she doesn't want to go back to all that hey i understand and she's almost there and i applaud her for the effort assuming it's true but you want to you want to root for her right and assume that it's true And there you go. Vitamin water just played me and I became part of their marketing machine without even meaning to. Oh, you guys tell me down in the comments though. Is this something that you could do? Could you go for a year without using your phone? And if so, uh, what would your price be? (laughs) Is a hundred grand enough to motivate you to stay off your phone truthfully and honestly, so you could pass that lie detector test is a hundred grand even enough. 
What's your price? That, I do believe, is going to wrap up this session of the after party. I'm always open to feedback. I want to know what you guys think of this, of the topic choices, what you would like to hear more of, because I would love to expand a little bit beyond just tech and Apple into more lifestyle stuff. If you guys uh, want to hear about anything else from Chris, from the Daily Tech perspective, please let me know, um, because I'd be very interested in that. Uh, don't forget, I suppose, uh, that you can subscribe at uh, at Daily Tech on YouTube, on Twitter, on Instagram. And uh, you, hey, by the way, we got accepted. I need to put this out. I'm going to cut this out or I'm going to duplicate it and put it at the beginning of the podcast because um, I bet no one listened this far anyways. All right, that is it for this episode. I will catch you guys in the next one or on the main Daily Tech channel. Later. Welcome to the other party out of vibe. Well, you know we getting lit and come alive. And you know we got a light, so we gon' shine. And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah. Welcome to the other party out of vibe. Well, you know we getting lit and come alive. And you know we got a light, so we gon' shine. And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah. So 12 are giving you the heat. The reviews from Chris, you gotta see. Daily Tech got the facts that you need. And it's a whole crew you gotta meet. After party, it's the place you gotta be. And you can't really beat it cause it's free. Trying to give you unbiased critiques. Quality, you should take it from me. Cause we care about the customers. Pull up a seat, got a whole team. Giving you the best and do it by any means. Brand new Mac and know it's looking clean. It's the after party, live from the models. Wanna cop some, shouldn't be a doubt about it. Looking for great reviews, then you found it. Connecting with the fans, hope you get a lot out of it. Yo. Welcome to the other party, out of vibe. Well, you know we getting lit and come alive. And you know we got a light, so we gon' shine. And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah. Welcome to the other party, out of vibe. Well, you know we getting lit and come alive. And you know we got a light, so we gon' shine. And we talking to the fans, it's the time, yeah.